Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're here with the Crossroads episode. That's right. It's week four of the NFL season. And for some Giants players, and for this team as a whole, they have reached the crossroads. There's no denying it. This week is going to determine where the season is headed because they play the Seattle Seahawks. Started out at one and a half point favorites. At least that's what I saw at the beginning of the week. Now, as I sit here on Wednesday afternoon, it's down to even. Not that that really matters. The point of that is, though, that this is a winnable game. This isn't playing the 49ers. This isn't playing the Dallas Cowboys. This isn't going to be like playing the Philadelphia Eagles later in the season where the Giants, let's be fair, are overmatched talent-wise. Seattle's a good team. We ultimately don't know how good they're going to be or how bad they're going to be, but they're a pretty good team. It's not a bad team. Geno Smith has played well. They've got a lot of offensive weapons. They've got things working in their favor. They seem like a, a program that's headed in the right direction. But it's a game that the Giants can win if they play fairly well. And the reason why it's a crossroads, and we've talked about this nonstop, endlessly really, this schedule is tough. They lose at home right now to the Seattle Seahawks. On deck is on the road against the Miami Dolphins. You see what the Dolphins did? Put up a 70-burger, right? You don't even see that in today's NFL. In the modern era, even where points are a plenty, you don't see teams put up 70. So they're humming. That game's on the road. They get to play in, you know, nice, likely ideal weather. I guess it could rain, but likelihood is it's pretty good weather. That team's built for that speed and nice, you know, weather. They're not going to be a, a, a winter team to play in snow. But if you play them in that conditions, they're good. They're going to be good offensively. So that's a game the Giants are going to be pretty hefty underdogs. Then forget the following week. We talked about this all offseason. Is this past week when they where they lost to San Francisco? They were going to have no shot in San Francisco on the road. Most teams will not have a shot in that game, and they kept it close to Giants, but ultimately they weren't at the same level. Lost thirty to twelve. Buffalo, same thing. Two weeks on the road, a primetime game going to be nuts in Buffalo Sunday night. They're not winning that game. So if they can't be win this game against Seattle, the likely there's a there's a strong likelihood this team's going to be one and five. And this team is going to be, this this season is going to be going in the wrong direction. So they're at a crossroads here. And so is Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Fifth overall pick. Has not played well to start the season. Had a sack against San Francisco. Credit. You know, he was working on the play. But it wasn't, uh, I beat my guy off the line of scrimmage flat out. It was more of a coverage sack, really. It, was, it looked like a three-step drop. Uh, and quarterback it was, it was covered up. Had to hold on to the ball, actually started running, and that's when Thibodeau took him down. Counts as a sack. Good play by him. I'll give him credit. But, again, a rather ineffective game. Now, let's go back to last week for Kayvon Thibodeau. I was just asking him. He had zero tackles, zero sacks, one pressure against the cart. So I went to ask him, and I said, you know, what do you make of zero tackles? You know, you want to give guys an opportunity to give their peace on what happened, and his thing was snapped and cut me off, actually, and said, did you watch the tape? Did you watch the game? Did you watch the game? Yeah, I'm looking for your opinion, Kayvon. And his opinion was, oh, a lot of it was on the backside, and the excuses for him, you hear it out there even more 
he sort of intimated this. You know, they're using him to do other things. He's doing what's asked of him. And I know all the defenders out there are going to say, yeah, you know, Wink doesn't know how to use him. I've seen it out there. I've seen it. You know, he's using him in coverage too much. And yes, and I'm going to next gen. He has 15 coverage snaps, 74 pass rush snaps. Let me just tell you this for a second. This is why we're at a crossroads with him. He's got to start playing better, Kayvon Thibodeau. Fifth overall pick, Aziz Ojolari is injured. I don't know if he's going to be back for this week. We'll get to the other injury in a second with Saquon Barkley. But Kayvon Thibodeau, okay, 74 pass rush snaps. All right, nothing crazy. He has 15 coverage snaps. You say, well, you know, maybe that's too many. Well, here's the bottom line. 74 pass rush snaps. Miles Garrett has 75. Micah Parsons has 79. Uh, Will Anderson, the rookie for the Texans, has 73. So they're all in the same range. Let me read you for the second. This is according to Next Gen Stats. Quarterback pressures and pressure percentage. Okay, they're all in the same, those four guys, all in the same, you know, pass rush snap range. Micah Parsons, 20 pressures, 25.3% QB pressure percentage. Granted. Michael Parsons might might be the best defensive player in the league. Okay, might just be. Uh, Miles Garrett also probably in that same category as Michael Parsons. I'm not saying Kayvon Thibodeau needs to be there, but same amount of pass rush snaps, same range, right? Within a few, actually one more, one more pass rush snap than Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, 16 pressures, 21.3 pressure rate. Will Anderson one less pass rush snap. 16 pressures, 21.9% pressure rate. Kayvon Thibodeau, three pressures, 4.1% QB pressure rate. Not good enough. Forget for the number five pick. That's not good enough for any starting player in the league. So the Giants need more from Kayvon Thibodeau. There's no doubt about it. We're reaching a crossroads because he flashed in his rookie year. Wasn't great. Flashed at four sacks, okay? You say he started off the season slowly, coming off the knee injury that was kind of the ugly knee injury in the preseason, took him time to get going, learning the league, gotcha. But now we're in year two. You cannot have a 4.1% QB pressure percentage rate. That's just not going to be good enough. Not for this team, not in New York as the number five overall pick. And it's funny because I've been saying this since I've seen him, and I thought he was going to, I thought he's a a good player. And I still do. I think he'll be a good player. I know a lot of people out there calling him bust. I don't I don't subscribe to that. Not at this point. No way. Like I still think he's a good player. I also don't think he's gonna be a great player. I just I don't watch in practice, I don't watch in games and see, wow, that guy's supremely more talented than everyone else around. I actually think that and I had someone tell me this before the draft, that Kayvon, the, the narrative around Kayvon Thibodeau and the, the this ultra-supreme athleticism was backwards. He's not this supreme athlete, right? He You don't look at him. He doesn't fly off the line of scrimmage like Parsons. He doesn't, you know, have the best bend or shuttle. Like, that's not what he brings to the table. He's actually just a good football player, I think. I think he's a pretty good football player. Uses his hands pretty well. Uses his power pretty well. I don't see a crazy special athlete. I really haven't since he arrived. And it's funny because that executive that told me that also was the same person thinking back that told me that Evan Neal was, he thought was a guard in the NFL. And he probably was, and he didn't have the athleticism and feet to play tackle. 
Maybe I should listen to that guy more often. But that's sort of where I stand on Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't see that special athleticism. I, I think the narrative was always backwards on him. Now, I still think he's could be, he could be a good player and will be a good player. Not a great player, though. But you got to do better than 4.1 QB pressure percentage. Chance against the Seattle Seahawks team that has injuries on their offensive line and at the offensive tackle position this year so far. So, hey, prime time. Let's see what you got. Crossroads for him and the Giants as a team. Now, the one big injury we have to talk about going forward is obviously Saquon Barkley. I expect Andrew Thomas to kind of be back. I'm, remember, I'm sitting here on Wednesday afternoon. Giants actually didn't have their first practice Thursday. Keep an eye on how guys do. Thursday's padded practice. They're going to practice Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week. But Thursday's practice. If you're not on the field in Thursday's practice in pads, it doesn't bode well overall for Monday night. So that brings us to Saquon Barkley. High ankle sprain, he reveals. High ankle sprain. Not an ordinary ankle sprain, high ankle sprain. The original uh, prognosis was three games. This is game two. Now, Saquon Barkley is going to push to be back. He always wants to be back. He always wants to play. He couldn't even sit out one day of training camp. That's how badly he wants to be there. That's how, the, how much the FOMO got to him. He could not sit out one day of training camp, took a bad deal, in my opinion, and came back for the start of Giants training camp because he didn't want that to be out there. He wanted to be out there with his teammates he didn't want it to be out there that he you know he was kind of holding in or whatever holding out whatever it was actually didn't sign so he could have just sat out no problem but anyway that's his mentality always going to be his mentality that's the kind of guy he is he's so competitive at every little thing he does like crazy so he's going to want to play but can he really play can he really be effective we've seen this before Saquon the magic healer right we we heard this again Brian Dable saying he's this quick healer Every time he's injured, we hear this. Every time he's injured, he comes back and plays poorly and probably needed more time on the sideline. So I'm not falling for the okie doke this time. I'm going to say, my gut says, we're probably not going to see Saquon Barkley this week. And if we do, we're not going to see an effective probably Saquon Barkley. His first four games back, first time he hurt his ankle in 2019, he averaged just over 40 yards rushing per game. Second time he hurt his ankle in 2021, he comes back. He averages 46 yards rushing per game in the next four games that he comes back. So clearly the production's down. And after the fact, then basically concedes, you know, in retrospect, eh, I probably end up coming back too early. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't my full self. So get to be your full self. I get it. This is a crossroads game. It's a big game. But it doesn't do them any good to have Saquon Barkley out there if he's not playing at a high level. And then it'll affect them more down the line when they're trying to win games in the next two, three, four weeks. So I don't love the chances of Saquon Barkley as we sit here early in the week because this is essentially like the Giants' normal Tuesday, right? Every, every The week is pushed back a day because they're playing on Monday instead of Sunday. So it's early in the week, but I don't particularly love Saquon Barkley's chances, even though he's going to push to get in the game. Now, we got to talk about the defense also. Because that's the one thing that I've been most disappointed with so far this season overall. In that San Francisco game in particular, the tackling was atrocious. That bothered me. And also, the connection between Darren Waller and, and Daniel Jones was just not good. They have to do better. Like, there was plays to be made. There was opportunities for big plays. Waller definitely had a drop. One was a clear drop. There was a couple other where Daniel Jones did not make good throws. You kind of want him to come down with the ball, but you kind of don't want to place the blame on him. You could put it on both of them. It definitely... 
could put it on Jones. It just wasn't a good game. They weren't on the same page. That has to change if this team's going to be any good. They need to play better, those two guys. And the missed tackles? Holy cow. The Giants gave up a third and 17 screen pass and a third and 13 on the same drive. Got to do better than that. And I've spoken to people in the organization, and they think this defense is going to turn around. They have confidence in this defense that this defense is going to be fine. We will see, but it has not been a good start to the season. Missed tackles, uh, third down percentage has been poor, pressure percentage has been poor, rushing defense, which they made efforts to improve this offseason, has been poor. If they don't, they don't improve in those areas, team ain't going anywhere. Now, they were better in the second half against San Francisco. Yeah, they blitzed the heck out of Brock Purdy. They blitzed the heck out of him. Like, literally every play. I think the Giants went into that game saying, with the philosophy of saying, all right, we're going to go into this game. We know we're shorthanded. We're at the left side of our offensive line. We're without Ojolari. We're without Saquon. Four key pieces. We're on the road. We're against a team that's better than us. We really don't like our chances in this game. We're going to look more towards that Seattle game, try to get everyone healthy for that Seattle game, and then pull everything we can out of our pocket and out of our bag to try and beat the 49ers and, the, you know, take chances, which meant Wink Martindale blitzed on like 80% of his staff. Blitz every play. And the first half, it actually worked. Brock Purdy was not good against the, sec- against the blitz. In the second half, absolutely tore apart the blitz. I mean, tore it apart. Second half, 73%, 143 yards, 13 yards per attempt. First half, 56% completion, 93 passing yards, and 5.8 yards per attempt. So they figured it out. Eventually, it came back. You can't you can't blitz every play. Eventually, teams are good, too good, especially with coaches like Kyle Shanahan. But the defense, that to me was maybe the most discouraging thing. And with that being said, let's go over the defense right now with our guests. On to the next one. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's bring on one of our favorites, former Giants defensive lineman and host of uh, the morning show on ESPN Radio on Sportsmanlike, one of the, th- one of the three hosts, Chris Canty, Chris, welcome back, man. And uh, you, every time we talk to you, it's like you keep ascending a rung on the ladder. You soon, soon you're going to be running the ship here. Hey, man, listen, I am uh, in a great position, got great real estate in the company. 
Uh, the morning radio show was a staple going back to the beginning days of Mike and Mike. And it's a privilege to be able to hold that show down now with, uh, you know, unsportsmanlike and my co-host Evan and Michelle Smallman. So it's, uh, it's a great place to be. It's a great platform to be. And uh, I'm just excited about what our show is turning into. Yeah, I actually hosted uh, the Greeny radio show uh, with Michelle one day over the summer. She was great, actually. I, I was uh, we had a we had a good time. She she knows what she's doing for sure on the radio side. Oh yeah, she's a scorned NFL fan though because she's from St. Louis, yeah. and of course <laughs> yeah, they don't have their team. <laughs> they don't have their team now. It's the LA Rams. So she wished all the bad things in sports happened to the LA Rams and nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic, actually, when she was talking about it. I was I was getting the, the gist of that. But at least she has the Cardinals. When you're from St. Louis, that's your thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Although not so much this year. <laughs> well, you can't complain when you you know you get like 25, 30 good years and you gotta suffer through one tough one, you know? Yeah. Giants enough. fans, Fair meanwhile. Enough. Have to, they have can't to suffer. complain. They can't <laughs> complain. <laughs> right now they can, yes, but they do, even though, even with those championships that you guys brought them, uh, they can complain right now. It's been a rough start to the season. To me, maybe perhaps the most disappointing part of the start to the season, because we knew the offensive line was the one thing that could really derail the offense, right? That was always mm-hmm. the disclaimer. The defense, though, has played very poorly. And we don't have that built in. There is no built in excuse. And I know you watch the defense very closely. And from a defense, a former defensive player perspective, what do you, what have you seen? What sticks out to you? What has bothered you about the way this team has started defensively? Well, Jordan, they can't put pressure on the quarterback. This is a franchise that is very proud and in their best years when they're competing for championships, they're able to sack the quarterback, they're able to hit the quarterback, they're able to affect the other team's passing game. And you just don't see that with the Giants this year. I mean, you're only talking about two sacks on the season and they have a minus 10 sack differential through three games. That's not the way that you want things to be going. So if you look at it on its face, the Giants being dominated up front is a big part of why the season isn't starting off the way many fans anticipated that it would. So you're, I know you're a big fan of Wink and his defense and the, the way he approaches it, right? He brings a lot of pressure, and he did. He blitzed the heck out of the Niners in that last game pretty much every play. Uh, yeah. What do you attribute the lack of pressure then to? Because you know Wink is trying to bring it, but yet – you know, naturally it's not happening. And then even when, you, when you're when you trying to produce it, it hasn't been consistent enough. Well, there's one reason why teams blitz at a high rate, and that's because they can't rely on their front four to generate pressure. So either from a personnel standpoint, you can do it with four, or you have to find ways to manufacture it. So in a roundabout way, it ends up being an indictment on the guys that are there. Now, Listen, there's one guy on that defensive front that I'm not going to blame for any of it, and that's Dexter Lawrence, Dexter the All-Pro. Yep. That, that dude is a grown man. He wins his matchup each and every week. The problem with that is every Agreed. single offensive line circles number 97 and they're saying, we're not going to let this guy beat us. We're going to put two hats on him. We're going to force the other guys, Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, and on down the line. We're going to make those dudes be the guys that end up beating us. And so far – they haven't been able to impact the game in that way. And so I think those are the guys that we have to start pointing to and expecting more of. 
they absolutely have to be better, especially when they get one-on-one pass rush opportunities. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. I know Kayvon Thibodeau had the sack on Thursday night football. It really wasn't because of him. He kind of fell into one if you watch the tape. It was a coverage um, sack. It was supposed to be a, a three-step yeah. quick quick game throw, and yeah, he didn't. Got a, Give him credit, though. Give him credit for yeah, well, he's got to find ways to be more impactful, though. I mean, he's he's a ghost in a lot of games. I mean, mm-hmm. you talk about the game two weeks ago when they lost to the Arizona. I mean, when they got the win against the Arizona Cardinals, this dude didn't have a tackle. Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> you out there for all those steps, you don't have a tackle, not one? Like, so, and, so, again, go ahead. And I was going to say, he made an excuse. And, I, you know, he his explanation of it was, and the second I asked him, I said, what do you make? Because I wanted to hear his explanation. What did you make of not of having zero tackle? And he cut me off and he's like, did you watch the game? Did you watch the game? You know, I'm on the backside all, all half the time. And then he went on to say, essentially, that, you know, he's get, he gets dropped in coverage as well. What do you make of that? Because all the excuse makers and the mouth breathers, like, that's what they come with. They say, well, Wink, Wink doesn't use him right. He's not getting the opportunities to rush the passers. Man, listen, I played on a Wayne Martindale coach defense. That guy knows more defensive football than most people. That guy's forgotten more defensive football than most people know. So it's not Wink Martindale not using him right. I think Kayvon Thibodeau has got to start living up to the draft billing. He's a top five pick, and we haven't seen that since he's been here. So he's going to have to step up, especially in the absence of Oziz Ojolari. Like, he's the guy. Who else is the guy? I mean, when no, you start talking about being able to bring edge pressure, who else is the guy? He's I mean, guy. it's not going to be Jahad Ward. It's not going to be Isaiah Simmons. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be Boogie Basham. He just got here five minutes ago. It's got to be Kayvon Thibodeau. And so far, it's not. So I don't give a damn that he's backside on the plays. Like, you're going you gonna to have to run into some hustle plays. Like, there's no excuse for being out there and playing the position that he plays. Remember, in an odd front defense, the playmaker position is the edge rushers. They're the playmakers. And he's not making any plays. So at some point, he's going to have to bear the brunt of why the Giants can't consistently pressure the opposing quarterbacks without blitzing. What would you say to him about handling that pressure? Because obviously a lot of eyes are on him, right? And the expectations are big. And this isn't like, you know, when Michael Strahan came in, granted, he wasn't the, you know, number five overall pick or OC or you name the guy, Justin Tuck. All these guys had time to get up to that level that they eventually reached, right? Now, Kayvon Thibodeau, they need it now. So what would you say to him about handling that pa- that pressure and the expectations of being that number one pass rusher for the New York Giants? Well, listen, I, you know, I hear where you're coming from, Jordan, in terms of some of the other guys, the OCs, the Tucks of the world, having an opportunity to grow into it. But you're a top five pick, man. I mean, it didn't take us long <laughs> to see Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner grow into becoming what they were, which is offensive and defensive rookies of the year. Yeah. I mean, Aiden, Aiden Wilson, Hutchinson's already there too, by the way. You know, Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson is there too. I mean, so it didn't take it didn't take those guys long to come into it. You know, it didn't take us long to figure out whether or not T.J. Watt was going to be a good football player. So my, I guess my whole point is this. Like, there, there, there can't be the excuse making, right? 
it has to be some level of accountability. And it's not just in what you say, but it's what you do. You have to evolve as a player. So spend a little less time worried about what you're wearing walk on the walk-up into the stadium on game day and focus on how you can beat the man in front of you consistently and get more pressure on the quarterback. Like, that's what I would say. Like, that's, that, that's going to be the thing that people judge you on. It's not going to be how you handle the media. It's not going to be, you know, being a great locker room guy. It's about production. It is a production business. You can be the best teammate. You can be a guy that they consider coachable. You can be a pillar in the community. But if you can't do what they drafted you fifth overall to do, which is hit the quarterback very well, then they're going to run your ass out of town. And it's only a matter of time. So Kayvon Thibodeau better start producing or this volume on this conversation is only going to get louder. Yeah, I actually spoke to someone in the organization last week and it was like the conversation was something like, you know, this is what Kayvon said about being on the backside. And it's like, you have zero tackles. Like that speaks for itself. Zero tackles. It doesn't like, matter if you're backside. Listen, I'm a defensive tackle and I, I've been on backside. Listen, it don't matter if you're out there playing and you're a starter on the defense. You got to get a tackle. You got to get something on the stat sheet. This guy has nothing. Yeah. That's unacceptable. You got to impact the game in some kind of way. Yeah. Three pressures in three games is not going to get it done. I don't, I don't, from, no. from what they need no. from him. Uh, so you, you're saying, uh, I, I'm thinking that after what you said, you wouldn't wear the, uh, the overalls. That wasn't something you came to a game in at any point. Uh, it's, pro- it's probably not a move <laughs> I would go with. You know, I'm a big guy, Jordan. I'm 6'8", 350 pounds. You know, there, there could be – I'll acknowledge that there are things that people do from a fashion standpoint that are cool, but I know I can't pull it off. <laughs> the overalls from K-Bar, cool. I can't pull nah, it off. It which are your former me. teammates? Which 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 player from that 2011 team do you think you could oh, see show up with show up in the great, overalls? That's a great question. Who would come with the overall swag and could actually pull it off? Oh, that's a good one, Joe. You got me. You got me on that. I would say Antrell Roll. If anybody yeah, can, do can do it, Antrell Roll can do it. Yeah, Antrell Roll okay. was, you know, Pro Bowl, All Pro level safety, and he's a guy that can walk the runway on Fashion Week. That was Antrell Roll when he was with the Giants um, in his tenure here. So he is definitely somebody that was considered fashion forward. So I think he could compete with the Kayvon Thibodeaux of the world when it comes to the walk in outfit. Okay, there we go. But he did have the resume by then, so it makes it a little bit easier. Oh, no doubt. So when things fall apart, they're not saying, "Come on, man, don't you don't need to be dressing like that and drawing attention to yourself when you're not doing it on the field." But I think, but point. I think that's the point, though, Jordan. It doesn't matter what else you do; you have to produce, and until you produce, nobody wants to hear your excuses. Nobody wants to see you trying to become a fashion icon. Nobody worries about your brand. Nobody cares about all of those other things until you produce. Nobody cares about how good of a teammate you are until you produce. And quiet as it's kept, I'm sure that there are guys in the locker room, Dexter Lawrence included, they're like, hey, man, if I'm getting double teamed every single play, somebody has got to be singled up and somebody has got to be putting pressure on the quarterback. Somebody's got to create, like somebody's got to do that. Until the Giants are better in that department, it's going to be hard for that defense to be any good. Man, that's the ironic part is he's not facing the double team every play. But here's the other one of the other main problems with the defense, and this is a glaring one. Their tackling man 
has been atrocious. I mean, there was a couple of plays where Deontay Banks looked like he was playing, thought he was playing two-hand touch the other day. I mean, it, it was brutal. 31 missed tackles through three games. What do you make of that? How much of that is effort? And something I've mentioned is I think, and this is just my opinion, some of it has due to this group sort of smelling themselves from last year and thinking they accomplished something that they actually didn't. Uh, I'm not going to take it that far because I'm not in the building every single day. I'm not privy to those conversations, but tackling is something that's fundamental to football. And the one thing that I thought we turned the corner on as a franchise was doing the fundamental things well. That's why they were able to exceed expectations in year one with Brian Daybowl and Joe Shane. And so for that to regress, it's a little bit surprising to me. And it's not only an indictment on the guys on the defensive side of the ball. It's an indictment on, on the coaching staff as a whole. Bill Parcells used to always say either you're coaching it that way or you're letting it happen. Either way, the buck stops with the coaching. And, of course, we got to look at Brian Daybowl. Mm-hmm. Like for all of the great things that we saw with Daybowl last year, he deserves some criticism in terms of how this team and, more importantly, this defense has tackled um, in the early going. They, they've got to be better at doing the small things well because this team is not talented enough to have margin for error where they can make those kind of mistakes. Okay, so hear me out. All right, this is something we brought up. And, and look, the jury's still out. We don't know how it's going to play out. But the reality is it was one of the so- uh, the softer training camps in regards to it was almost like country club-style training camp, right? I mean. Guys getting vet days off left and right, just, you know, not working, uh, you know, it was like three days in a row and then off. Like, so it was on the softer side with the focus on sports science being keeping guys healthy, which I totally see. Actually, I probably lean towards that side. Uh, And they went to the season and almost everybody was healthy. And we'll see ultimately how it leads to more health potentially throughout the season. But the flip side is maybe you're not quite as physical and not quite as ready to play and tackle. What do you think of that? And also, how do you then start implementing that during the week of a season? Is that even possible to really start work on that kind of stuff, the physical part of the game, the tackling part of the game in season? Well, I believe toughness is a skill that can be developed. Now, that being said, it's hard to do in season because you only have one padded practice a, a week per rules in the collective bargaining agreement. So it, it's hard to, to you know, kind of build in that overall physical toughness that you're looking for in, in the week when you're game planning and you're getting ready for the upcoming opponent. Now, I'll also say this. They better make sure they got their big boy pass for this game against the Seahawks. The Seahawks have always been a a relatively physical outfit. Mm -hmm. And you got to know that Pete Carroll, you know, coming into this season, wanted to be a run-centric team, and they haven't been running the ball very well. So I I expect a heavy dose of Kenneth Walker, the uh, the third, this week um, against the New York Giants testing them a little bit to see exactly where they're at, whether or not they've improved with their tackling. But then also, you got to know that with those receivers that the Seahawks are bringing to the party, if you miss a tackle with them, it could be to the house. So, they're, 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 again, that the fundamental things is something that the Giants have to do well. And let's hope with the extra time and preparation coming off of a Thursday night game that and, and getting back home that they can they can get – they can turn a corner when it comes to some of those 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 fundamental elements of, of, of their game. 
All right, so let's end on this. You put on your prognosticator hat. What do you see Monday night? Um, you know what? I see the Giants' offense being their best defense, which is being able to sustain drives, being able to dictate the complexion of the game. As much as we talk about the Giants' defense, the Seahawks' defense is atrocious. I mean, they, they have the worst third down percentage of anybody in the league. Opponents are converting 57% of third downs against the Seahawks. And guess what? Yikes. Opponents are also a perfect 7 for 7 in the red zone against that Seahawks defense. They don't have a pass rush to write home about either. And, and if you look at the Giants, one of the things they do well is cashing in once they get into the red zone. Yep. So, I mean, I think that's, that's going to have to be – the philosophy for them going into this game, let your offense be your defense, utilizing Daniel Jones, not only um, his effectiveness in the passing game, but using him as a runner, moving the launch point, letting him take off and run um, to convert for first downs. Uh, I think that's going to have to be what the New York Giants do in order to get the dub against the Seahawks. It's funny you say that because Wink actually, a bunch of defensive players have said this, that he says to the defensive players that their best defensive player is Saquon Barkley, right? Because he helps them stay off the field and that helps them stay fresher and obviously can help them be more effective. We don't know if he's playing. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be nice if we could have that guy back. It'd be <laughs> yeah. nice. It'd yeah, be nice. It would be, but at the same time, you got to be careful with that kind of thing because we've seen it before. If you come back too early and are ineffective, you know, then, then you don't want three or four weeks of subpar Saquon Barkley is it really worth rushing him back for that? And so that's kind of what that's the Giants fair. have to weigh here. So Chris that's Canty, fair. good luck on your show. Listen in uh, the ESPN morning show on Sportsmanlike. Chris Canty is flying up the ESPN totem pole, leaving us all behind. But thanks for still making the time for us, Chris. We always enjoy. Appreciate you, man. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. That was Chris Canty right there. Obviously love talking to him, especially when you get that uh, perspective from the defensive side of the ball. Said some pretty interesting things, I think, about Kayvon Thibodeau in specific. So well, let's see how this week goes because I think this is going to go a long way in deciding the Kayvon Thibodeau story and how that pans out. Like If he throws another dud up there, the pressure is just going to keep building and building, and I don't know if that'll go the right way, if that pressure keeps building on him. So uh, this is a big week for him as well as the Giants. That's why we're at the crossroads. The crossroads, crossroads. You know, the whole Bone Thug song. I don't even want to try and sing some of the words to that song. Anyway, let's finish up here with a little quick Jordan on the beat. Uh, this is where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants work for ESPN or cover the NFL in general. And so let me tell you about Thursday night in Santa Clara. Our San Francisco 49ers reporter comes down and is sick. You know, he's under the weather. He's sweating. Uh, temperature has whatever. So he can't get to the game. He can't barely get out of bed that day. So they tell me the night before the morning of, hey, we're going to need you because I was supposed to split TV duties throughout the day with him. 
we're going to need you to carry the load and do everything. So, I mean, before the game, I'm on the field. I must have done six or seven TV and radio spots, like just one after another. And so that's kind of the deal. That's kind of the way that we have it. So we have 32 NFL reporters. So if one of one person isn't there, you still at least have somebody there. So post-game, I actually had to go, and this is the first time I've done this since I've been the Giants reporter, is I actually had to do a post-game report about the 49ers for TV. So post-game, I didn't even go to the Giants locker room. I went to the 49ers locker room. I was essentially serving as the 49ers reporter for the day, or for at least most of the day. I, I wrote something, you know, my quick review, like right after the, the whistle was about the Giants. Then I went downstairs. I kept an eye on the Giants locker room. Now, they give you uh, transcripts of quotes. So for the most part, I was like, okay, I think I can get by with, you know, looking at the quote sheets, watching the interviews that were taped, like, you know, Brian Dable, Daniel Jones, and covering the 49ers locker room at the same time. So it was interesting to see the differences in the uh, in the locker rooms and how everything's helped. But now, also, there's a lot of similarities because the 49ers PR guy, Corey Rush, great guy, used to be with the Giants. And he was with the Giants for years. So they a lot of the, a lot of the things that they do are very similar to the way that the Giants operate. But anyway, I was in the post-game locker room of the 49ers, spoke to Debo Samuel, uh, spoke to a few other defensive players. And then hearing Nick Bosa speak was actually the most interesting part because what he said was, you know, we worked all week on Daniel Jones running and the zone read. And we were surprised, and this was something that was reiterated by Fred Warner as well, we were surprised the Giants didn't do it more. He thought maybe the Giants didn't do it because they knew the 49ers were prepared for it. And they were operating as if the Giants were run the zone read. And actually, it sounds like they were using Fred Warner as a spy for Daniel Jones. And with his speed, maybe the Giants didn't think they could have anything. Or there, maybe, maybe, this is a theory, the Giants were like, you know what, we need to, you know, we're going to try and, hit some downfield shots here, but we don't really want to put our quarterback in harm's way. They already played it safe with guys like Andrew Thomas, you know, going into this game. Hey, maybe we should not have Daniel Jones take a lot of hits here. Maybe we should try to limit the amount of hits he takes in this game and look forward to getting everybody healthy, make sure everyone's healthy for that Seattle game. This regime, we cannot downplay this, has put an emphasis on health. Just look at what they did this summer and what they do in the spring. Spring, summer, training camp. There is an emphasis, a sports science emphasis on staying healthy. Now, nobody stays fully healthy in the NFL. Andrew Thomas was hurt chasing down a blocked field goal. Saquon Barkley got his ankle crushed down below. Ben Bredesen got a concussion from a collision, head-to-head collision. And Aziz Ojolari hurt his hamstring also. Don't remember exactly when, but you get the point. Nobody's going to stay completely healthy. You want to stay relatively healthy, comparatively healthy. And we'll see at the end of the year whether that's going to pay off. But anyway, just wanted to tell you what it was like this week when you have to kind of step in and, uh, you know, what comes with the responsibilities of the job and work for ESPN and different things that can come up. And that's something that came up this week as I was covering the 49ers, basically, after the game on Thursday night. So uh, I don't think it 
hurt me too much in my Giants coverage. Now there may have been a couple guys I wanted to talk to in the locker room that I didn't get the opportunity, but now I could hopefully do it again this week. You know, I could, anyone that I missed, I can get this week. The Giants locker room will be open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday instead of the traditional Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Everything basically pushed back one day. So these primetime games really throw everything in, in, in the loop. Haven't had a, we've had one normal week, and we flew to Arizona that week, which was across the country. So it's been a crazy start to the season. And then we got two more road games after this. We got Miami and then another primetime game. So four out of six of the Giants' first games are going to be on primetime. It's about time they put that forth a good performance on primetime because the nation is not impressed. Trust me, the nation is not impressed. That's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, like, subscribe, tell your friends, give me a review. Come on, if you're listening to this podcast, support it. Give it a positive review, and that helps. That'll help us moving forward to making an even better podcast. I'm Jordan Rodon. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.